Well, good afternoon. I'm so glad that you're here at Soul City Church. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of our lead pastors here at Soul City. And as Sean just mentioned, we are kicking off a new series today called Eyewitness, a new way of seeing Jesus. And as we prepare for Easter, what we're going to look at is eyewitness accounts of people that actually encountered Jesus And after witnessing him, they were never the same. They were transformed. And and we talk about transformation a lot around here, don't we? Uh, If you've been here a few times, you know that we talk about transformation a lot. It's because it's in the middle of our mission. Our mission is that we want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. And part of the reason why we talk about transformation so much is we believe that nothing can transform your life the way Jesus can transform your life. Nothing. Nothing can transform your life in the same way that Jesus transforms your life. A new look, a new hairdo, a new outfit cannot transform your life. A a new person even coming into your life. A a, a new job or, or a new start in a new city. Even an amazing sermon from your favorite pastor Friends, it's okay. Jarrett's out of town this week. I've known all along that it was me. Um, and so it's, it's okay. But even an amazing sermon. No, don't. He'll be sad to know that you clapped for that. It's not good. He watches these things. And then he'll find out. Then he'll find out. But even an amazing sermon cannot transform your life. Only Jesus can transform us truly. Only Jesus can transform us, truly. Amen? I mean, those of us that have been transformed by the love of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When his love gets in and it transforms you and you are not the same. But I think many of us, we we find ourselves asking the question, but like, how does it happen? (laughs) Like, what's the process? How does transformation really work? And that's what we're here to explore today. And more than explore, my hope and my prayer is that we actually experience transformation. That that we don't just talk about it, that we don't just, you know, wrestle with how does transformation happen, but that you actually have an experience of transformation. That your life is not the same when you walk out these doors in just a little bit. But I am guessing that you are probably somewhat like me. And you have been in seasons of your life where you felt stuck spiritually. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Yeah, I mean, I've had seasons of my life and I thought, God, I'm, I, I love you and I'm devoted to you, but I don't feel like I'm transforming. I don't feel like I'm changing. And I know that you've probably been in these different seasons of life. And I think part of the reason is because sometimes when we're in those seasons, we have this tendency to make transformation really complicated. We overcomplicate the process. And transformation is simply how how God helps us become who we were meant to be. That's a simple definition of transformation. Transformation is how I become who God created me to be. And I think so many of us, somewhere along the way, we started believing a distorted message at some, some degree that if we changed, then God would change us. 
that if we cleaned up our lives, then we'd experience transformation. If we made better choices, then we'd experience transformation. If we stopped doing unhealthy things, and what you need to understand about God's love is there's no if in God's love. God's love is. God's love is. Yesterday, today, and forever, the love of God has never changed. So there's no if in God's love. God's love is, and it's because of God's love that he empowers us to change. Any change outside of love never actually lasts in a person's life. Any change outside of love will never last because God's love is what empowers us to change. And when love becomes the fuel for your transformation, you can become who God created you to be. When love is literally the fuel for your transformation. That is how we become who God created us to be. And I wanna say right at the start of this message that I am believing in faith. I was upstairs in my office early this morning on my knees declaring and believing that there is going to be a wave of transformation in and through this space today. That we're not going to just explore some truths of how God, but we are here because we want to experience God. I mean, isn't that why you got up and you got dressed and you came here and you came to church? I hope it wasn't to just check a spiritual box. We want to experience the love of God here. And I am praying and I am believing. Some of you were really excited. You're like, oh, so cool. It's their baptism Sunday. I can't wait to cheer all those people on. And you're going to be the person in the water. (laughs) You had no idea that the Spirit of God was going to move in such a way that you were going to be compelled to the point of saying, it's my time. It's my time. It's my time for the love of God to fully wreck me so that I'm never the same. So I want you to grab your Bible. It's in the seat back in front of you, underneath the seat if you're up in the balcony. It's uh, off to the side on the armrest. And I'd love for you to grab the Bible that's there in front of you. And I'd love for you to turn to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. And we're going to look at one of the very first eyewitness accounts that somebody had with Jesus. Matthew 3 is found on page 784. And this eyewitness account that we're going to look at is actually with John the Baptist. And as you're turning to this passage, I want to tell you a few things about John. Uh, John was actually Jesus's cousin. Uh, He was his older cousin. He was born about six months before Jesus. And his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, had a very similar experience uh, like Mary and Joseph. The angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, you are going to have a son. And that son, you're going to name him John, and he is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to prepare the way for for Jesus. So I I like to think about John as kind of like the intro, right? He's the intro. It's kind of like how I picture 
what Oprah is here in the West Loop, okay? Many of you know that Oprah had her studio here for a number of years, Harpo Studio. Oprah came to the West Loop, and she kind of prepared the way for Soul City Church, right? She, she went before us, and, and now here we are, right? So I, I like to think about Oprah as our John the Baptist uh, for Soul City Church, right? So, so this is uh, who John was, and, and John was a prophet, okay? John was a prophet, and if you've read any of the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets were a little different, weren't they? Uh, they? They were some interesting characters, and John was an interesting character. In fact, it says in the, in the scriptures that the Spirit of God led him out to the wilderness, and, and he kind of like was this wild man that lived out in the wilderness. The Bible even says that he had a steady diet of eating locusts and wild honey, Okay, this is what John ate, locusts and wild honey. Whole 30 ain't got nothing on John's diet, right? So, so, so John is eating locusts and wild honey, and it says that he literally had, uh, his, his clothing was made out of camel's hair. Okay, so I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the Bible, and, and I would encourage you, for those of you that love to read the Bible, God gave you an imagination. And so I, I like to let my imagination kind of soar a bit when I'm reading the Bible, and I like to picture like what these characters were like. And so when I imagine John the Baptist, I kind of imagine like Tom Hanks in Castaway. That's how I picture John the Baptist, right? Just a little off, just a tiny bit off, but for good reason, right? And so John lived out in the wilderness and people would come and he would preach about Jesus, this Messiah that was coming, and then people would be baptized. Thus, why they call him John the Baptist. So we're going to pick up in Matthew 3, where John had just baptized many people, and this is what he says to the crowd. Matthew 3.11, he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John makes it really clear that the baptism that they just received there in the Jordan, that 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 was a baptism to mark a moment of repentance, it was to mark a moment of confession, but that Jesus would come soon and they would be baptized by Jesus and they would be empowered with freedom through the Spirit. He describes it literally as fire. That the old would be burned away and the new would come to life. But John says something really interesting when he's describing this baptism. He, he says something that actually indicates how he sees himself in light of Jesus. He says, Jesus is more powerful than I. His sandals I'm not even what? I'm not even worthy to carry. So John is clearly indicating that he has this unbelievable reverence, this this awe, this honor for Jesus, and thus we should, right? Um, He is the only one that is worthy, But, but John gives us a picture of how he sees himself in light of Jesus's worthiness. He describes himself as unworthy, not even worthy to carry the sandals of Jesus. And I love that, that Matthew records this, actually, 
Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in those seasons where I feel stuck spiritually or, or where I'm struggling, I have this tendency to think like everybody in this book is a spiritual giant. They never struggled. They never wondered if they were worthy. They never wondered, you know, if, if God loved them. They never found themselves on a teeter-totter in between security and insecurity, which is where I often can find myself. And, and I love that we get to see a, a, a raw picture of John in this moment. Where he describes himself as somebody that's not even worthy to pick up the sandals of Jesus. And I love what happens in this moment for John. Jump down to Matthew 3.11. Jesus comes and, and he comes to be baptized. And it says these words, uh, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Jump down to verse 13 and it says, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to be baptized by John. Now what you need to know, what is quite remarkable, is that the distance between Galilee and the Jordan is 70 miles. So that means Jesus walked 70 miles to be baptized by John. And what I love about this is he's Jesus. He's the son of God. He could have like sent angels to John and said, come to me and baptize me. He could have said to God, hey, let's do a cool thing. Let's pick up the Jordan and bring it to Galilee, right? He's Jesus. He could have done anything. But he chose to walk to John. And I think it's very intentional. And I think for some of you, you need to hear this right now. God always walks to you. I didn't say that in the other services. I just feel it stirring in my heart right now. Some of you need to hear this really clearly. God is walking to you. He's walking to you. He's walking to you. He's for you. He's never been against you. And he is in a forward movement towards you. And we see this so clearly as Jesus walks to the Jordan to be with John. And I love this moment because it says that as Jesus came up to him, John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? I mean, can you imagine John for a moment? Here's Jesus, the Son of God, standing in front of you like, okay, how are we going to do this, Right? And I've got some compassion for John. The poor guy, he's been living on locust and wild honey, right? He's been out in the wilderness. He's probably not right in his mind. I mean, if it were me, I would have fainted. I would have just fainted if Jesus walked up to me and said, will you baptize me? So I've got some compassion for John in this moment when he says that, when the scriptures say that he tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and yet you come to me. Clearly, John is overwhelmed in this moment and I love what Jesus does. I love what Jesus does because here's John trying to back away. He's remembering that he's not even worthy to carry the sandals 
So this unworthiness is all caught up in his heart. It's all caught up in his mind. And look at what Jesus does. Jesus says to him, let it be so now. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Let it be so now. You can almost hear Jesus in these simple five words. Let it be so now. It's almost like he's saying, John, this is how I see you. This is how I see you. So you need to start seeing yourself this way. Can you imagine this moment? Not only is John about to baptize the Son of God, but Jesus is literally turning John's identity inside out. He's saying, it is right for you to baptize me because of my righteousness, not because of anything you have done. I am who makes you worthy. And I love what the scripture says. Then John consented. Then John consented. Of course he did, right? Jesus is standing in front of him, saying words, let it be so now. And what I love that the scriptures say is that, that John consented. Do you know what the word consented means? He agreed. He agreed, and I don't think it means that he just agreed to baptize Jesus. I think he agreed that in that moment he finally saw himself as the beloved. He agreed with how Jesus saw him, and John consented. And it goes on, and it says that John then baptized him, and it says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said this, this is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. You know, the same love that Jesus lavished on to John, the Father then lavished on to Jesus. And what's staggering about this moment is Jesus hadn't done a thing in his life yet. This was before his public ministry ever began. There were no healings. There were no miracles. There was no amazing sermons. He had no followers. There were no likes on Instagram on his page. Jesus hadn't done a thing. And yet the father says, this is my son whom I love in you. I am well pleased. It's not because of anything you've done. It's because of who you are. And that's how Jesus saw John. That's how God saw Jesus. And that's how God sees you. It's not because of anything, anything you have ever done that you are loved. You've never done anything enough to earn the love of God. God's love just is a number of years ago, uh, Jarrett and I started this tradition. Um, we kept finding ourselves showing up right around this time 
in the new year and realizing that whatever New Year's resolutions we had made, they were no longer intact. And so we decided, you know, by March, okay, this isn't working. We, we need to come up with a whole new strategy. And so we decided that we were going to start choosing a word for the year. We were going to start choosing an intention and, and kind of live into that word for the year. And so, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a while, and, and I had had a, a bunch of different words that God had given to me throughout the years. One year was the word surrender. Another was the word enough. This last year, um, it was cool. Jared and I were coming to the end of, of this last year, 2017, and uh, together uh, we both uh, realized we wanted to choose the same word. So we chose the word willing. That's our word for this year. And then we turned it into a, a sermon series in January. <laughs> and moving from 2016 to 2017, I was really struggling in knowing what word God was calling me towards. And, and we uh, went away with some friends, and we had taught them this tradition, and it was over New Year's, and, and we had uh, come up with this idea that we were going to, you know, have dinner together, and then we were going to go around the dinner table, and each of us was going to share, you know, how this last year had been, um, and, and how this last year's word, and how they lived into that, and what was the new word that God was prompting um, on each of our hearts, and people were going around the table, and it was beautiful. We were reflecting on what God had done in the last year, and people were saying, you know, this is the word that I sense God is calling me to and somebody said you know their word was home they wanted to live at home be at home in themselves another person said their word was restore there were some broken relationships that they wanted to see restored another person had the word risk and everybody was going around the table and and saying these incredible words and as I was sitting with myself I was realizing that the word that was actually floating up to the top I was feeling resistant about that word because the word that was actually floating to the top of me was the word me I wanted to choose the word me, and, and if I was really being honest, the real, raw, gut-level, honest, vulnerable part of me wanted to choose the word selfish. Because I had gotten to the end of that year, and 2016 was so much doing for God. So much building for God. So much preparing and planning and prodding and figuring things out and believing in faith for this, what we're all sitting in right now. And I got to the end of the year, and if I was being really honest with God, I was like, God, somewhere along the way, I lost me in all of this as I was doing all of this stuff for you. And so I want to pick the word me. I want to pick the word selfish. And then I started thinking, like, that doesn't look good on a bracelet. <laughs> like, I can't put that next to surrender and enough. And that's just, and I'm a pastor. Like, what's your word for the year? Selfish. Right? Like, I, I just, and so I just resigned myself in the moment. And as we were going around the table, I just said, I, I just don't think I have a word this year. I, I don't have a word for how I sense God is inviting me to go into this year. And New Year's came and New Year's went and my friends all had their words and I just was kind of like, 
okay, this is my year. There's no word, and that's okay. About a week or so later, um, I was laying in bed one morning, and it was cold January morning, and you know that feeling when, like, you've got all the covers in just the right place, and just you're like, oh, I could lay here all day. This is like the best, right? And nobody was up in our house. It was really, really early. The sun was just waking up, and I could kind of like see a, a sliver of light just coming through the window that morning. And I was just laying there, and I just felt this impression. It wasn't an audible voice, but I just felt this impression from God say, Jeannie, even if you laid here all day and did nothing, you are my beloved daughter. You're my beloved daughter. And as I lay there in bed, tears just started streaming down my face. But it wasn't anything like this moment. Marvin was not there playing. <laughs> It would have been so weird if he was, <laughs> for so many reasons. Jared was like half snoring next to me. There was nothing magical or mystical about the moment. I just felt this impression from God saying, you don't have to do. I just love you, you're, you're my daughter. You are the beloved. And as the tears rolled down my face, I was like, that's it. It's my word. I'm beloved this year. I started picturing my bracelet. Like, I got up out of bed. I got a brand new journal. I went downstairs. I lit a candle. I got some coffee. I started playing Hillsong in the background because I was going to crush being the beloved. I was like, I'm going to kill it this year. I'm going to kill it at being the beloved. And here I am making my list of all the things I'm going to do to be the beloved. And God was like, you forgot the first two letters. It's about being, Jeannie. It's not about all these things that you do for me. I love you because... Not because of anything that you do for me. I just love you. And you know, knowing that you're the beloved doesn't always mean that you live as the beloved. I've been following Jesus for many, many, many years. I know I'm the beloved. But there's lots of days I don't live as if I'm the beloved. And one of the clearest confirmations to look at and to see if your life is a picture of being the beloved is to look at what is coming out of you. Because, friends, we were born speaking the language of love, and yet so many of us have become fluent in the language of fear. We've become fluent in a language that God never intended us to speak. So many of us are in the same posture as John the Baptist. We're living as though we are unworthy of being loved even. Afraid, insecure. And what Jesus says to John, I believe that he is saying to every single one of us here today, let it be so now. 
Let it be so now, not tomorrow, not a week from today, not even a month from today, not in a few years from today. Would you let it be so now that you are the beloved? You are the beloved son, the beloved daughter. And when all of life becomes a response to God's great love, all of life is then experienced as love. And in a moment, I am believing that there are many of you here today, and you're going to experience the fresh love of the Spirit, a fresh movement of God's love in your life, and it's going to wreck you. I had a woman come up to me at the end of the last service and she said, you have got to stop praying that benediction. You have got to stop praying that God would wreck our lives with his love and grace because he's wrecked mine. He's wrecked it wide open and his love and grace has transformed me. And some of you are about to experience the reckless love of God that wrecks us and rebuilds us. And I've seen this in so many of my friends' lives and friends like my um, friend Lazarus. And God just wrecked his life. God just cracked his heart open and said, now's the time. Let it be so now. And I think there are many of you here today And the Spirit of God is impressing the exact same message on your heart. Let it be so. Now. So I want you to watch Lazarus' story and see how God was moving in and through his life. So I grew up in California. I was a pastor's kid. Both my parents were very active in church. We were at church four to five times a week. My life was basically church. When I was about six years old, my parents uprooted us and moved us to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where they became pastors. A lot of their time was spent with people in the church. And at times it made me wonder why I felt like that took precedence over my family. Uh, So I got really bitter towards God because I felt like he was the reason that my parents were being pulled away from me. We were struggling uh, financially to make ends meet and at times struggling to have enough food to eat while we were pastoring there. My dad decided to move us back to California. After we moved back to California, I thought it'd be more of a normal thing to not have to struggle, but my parents uh, decided to pastor at another church in another city uh, while we were in California and we kind of ended up going through the same struggles again. Going through it all over again, I was angry and bitter and I decided to just tell God I don't believe in you anymore and I don't want to believe in you anymore and I can do this on my own and I did. didn't pray, I didn't read my Bible, I didn't go to church. I felt, I felt nothing. After months and months of trying to do it on my own, I hit like a, just this point, really low point where I just I felt like I could do everything myself, but it, I felt so miserable. And there was one night in particular where I was driving home from someone's house, and I was just screaming and crying and cursing at God, just telling him that like 
the struggles that I've went through is because of him and it's all his fault and he pretty much ruined my life. It was a crazy realization that I had said I didn't believe in God, but I had just spent 30 minutes in my car yelling and screaming <laughs> at God. <laughs> I realized in that moment that I wasn't alone and that even in that moment, he was still there. So over the next few years, I had started touring with bands and uh, playing music and I got to a point where I just felt stuck. It was during that time that I met the woman that would become my wife. So we started a long distance relationship and after about a year and a half, I decided to leave home. She was the one that introduced me to Soul City Church. And when I came with her to visit, I remember walking in and feeling like so welcome and so like I was part of a family. Shortly after that, I started serving and I started meeting a lot of different people at Soul City. And I ended up joining the band, the worship band. So one Sunday, we were attending a service and while we were there we realized it was baptism Sunday. Jared was just like you know this is your time there's no other time this is the time to do it and uh, I had always been a little bit embarrassed of like publicly showing my faith for God so it was really hard for me to do it. My wife was like you should totally do this and I was like nope <laughs> and I didn't do it and I regretted it as soon as I left as soon as service was over. So the next Baptism Sunday, I was actually scheduled to play bass. I hinted to everyone that I had, I had never been baptized and that like, I was just kind of joking like, yeah, I should get baptized today, but I'm not because I'm playing bass, I can't. Everyone kind of was like, you should do it, you should do it. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just knew that I was supposed to get baptized that Sunday. The last service was just like, this was the service that I should do it at. And I remember getting my clothes and like going to the bathroom to change and then walking out to the tank. And when I got in the, in the water, uh, I saw my wife and she was crying. So then I started crying. And then I remember just like going down and when I came out of the water, it was like all this weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I felt so light. I felt like, like I was a new person. The whole being scared and being embarrassed of everything. Everyone seeing me was like, when I popped my head up, everyone was like, yeah, and super excited, and like everybody that I knew on worship was like excited, and it was like the greatest feeling I had felt in a long time. Not a lot has changed with the circumstances in my life, but now when I'm faced with struggles and hardships, my perspective is completely changed. I just know that God's with me. My name is Lazarus, and this is what transformation looks like in public. One of my favorite things that Lazarus says in his story is that moment when he came up out of the water and you see him with all this weight, right? Lifting weight and he said when he came up out of the water he felt light. Some of you are carrying a lot of weight, a lot of shame, a lot of regret, a lot of hurt a lot of past wounds. And what baptism is, is it's, it's literally the old life, the old life being buried with Jesus and new life being resurrected in Christ. And I'm not sure what has been standing in the way for you. Maybe for you, you have been waiting. You've literally been waiting to get your own life cleaned up 
and you've kind of had your own like, okay, once I, once I get this taken care of, then, then I can be baptized. Maybe for you, you kind of have this picture in your mind, right? And you've been to baptism Sundays before, and you're like, I'm going to do that, but it's gonna ma- I'm going to make sure that it's like perfect for me. Uh, I'm going to send out the Evite, the cute little Evite, and all the right people will be there, and I will have already gotten the shirt. It will all be taken care of, right? And you're just waiting for just the right moment. And you've had that feeling, though, every baptism Sunday where you've walked out the doors, and you're like, but, huh. I think I was supposed to do that. Maybe you're kind of like Lazarus and you're like, oh, but I don't want to be up in front of people. I, I don't know if I want to do that. Or some of you are thinking like, I, don't, I didn't bring along a change of clothing with me. I, I'm not prepared for that. Well, we've got you covered. <laughs> we, we literally have every single thing that you need here today. We've got the shirt, we've got shorts in every single size, we've got all of the hair products so that when you walk out of here, you're looking just as good as how you walked in here. We've got underwear, we've got it all. We've got it all covered. Maybe what's standing in the way for you is that you you were baptized as an infant. And for you, you kind of have always held on to this thought like maybe that was already taken care of for me. I'm, I'm not sure, but maybe that's um, my thing. You know, what's beautiful about infant baptism is, is it's a parent's intent. It's their desire to say, I, I long for my child to grow up in the ways of Jesus. I long for, for my child to know God and for God to transform their lives. But as we look throughout the scriptures, you know, all of the accounts of baptism are actually adults making a choice to be baptized. It's an adult actually staying and stating, I've decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to put my trust in him. And, and that was my story. My parents baptized me as an infant, and, I, and I'm grateful for their intent to, to raise me in the ways of Jesus. But there came a time in my adult life where I had to make a decision, where I had to put the flag in the ground and I had to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And I made that choice for myself. And some of you here today, you're going to make that same choice you know, already here today, as I, as I said when we came in, that I had this sense that the Spirit of God is moving in such a way that we're not going to just explore what it looks like to be in a transforming relationship with God, but we're going to actually experience in it. Already today, 44 people have been baptized. Already here today. And there are some of you, and you know you're supposed to be in these waters. You know it. You know it. And I would just say to you, what is standing in the way of you claiming your belovedness and being baptized here today? Because that is who you are. You're the beloved. You're the beloved sister. Brother, you are the beloved. It's who you are. You're the beloved. Sister, you're the beloved. You're the beloved. You're the beloved. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. There's nothing that you can do. 
There's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing that you have done to keep you from God's love. You are forgiven what you've done in the past. Even what you might do out in the future is forgiven through the love of God. And you are his child. And baptism is the moment for you to declare your belovedness. In the same way that God whispered to his very own son, this is my son whom I love In you, I am well pleased. I am believing in faith for many of you here today that you're going to experience that same whisper, that the heavens are going to open up and we are going to experience the love of God in this place and it's going to be reckless. It's going to be reckless. And you're not going to just, from your head, explore what God's love might feel like. You're going to actually experience it. And so I want to invite you to stand right now. And some of you, you already know, You already know there's been that churning, that moving inside of you. And some of you are looking at your husband, you're looking at your wife, and you're like, "Uh, hey, that's me. (laughs) And in a moment when I say amen, you're going to look at them and you're going to grab their hand and you're going to say, I'm going to get baptized today and you're coming with me. (laughs) And maybe you should get baptized too. There are some of you here today and you are standing with friends and you're holding their hands right here. Look at you, beautiful. You're going to walk into those waters of baptism and you're going to experience new life, new life in Jesus. And there are some of you here today and I just want to say to you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And the rest of us, we're about to start a crazy amen hallelujah party in this place, okay? We are going to celebrate and we are going to cheer and we are going to worship and we are going to sing and we are going to declare the unending, never-ending, reckless love of God. And so Jesus, I pray, I pray that your spirit would move in such a way that people would say, let it be so now. Let it be so now in my life. Jesus, would you give me the strength and would you give me the grace to lean into my identity as your beloved son, your beloved daughter. And Jesus, I pray that all of heaven would open up right now as we celebrate your sons and daughters coming home to you, claiming their identity as beloved son, beloved daughter. And in a moment when I say amen, those of you that are compelled to be baptized, we're going to invite you to walk out the back of these doors. If you're in the balcony, come down to the second floor, and we are going to celebrate your new life in Jesus. And so in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, we say amen, and amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. We'll greet you in the lobby and we will celebrate you in the waters of baptism.